When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Told you guys, I warned you about Wembenyama, the guy who LeBron James says is not even a unicorn. He's an alien. Seven foot four, dropped 37 points the other night. Everybody is talking about this prospect from France. And I want to say, if you listen to the underdogs, you heard it here first. It is going to be tank horrific this year in the NBA season. I think the Houston Texans may even be tanking for him. That's how crazy it's getting. (laughs) I think we're going to see this season, two storylines, who's winning and who's losing, Mm. who's going to try to win for the, go for the title. And then everybody else who's going to try to get Victor Wembanyama. So now it becomes clear why the Spurs made that trick. Did you see that in that game, Wembanyama had seven threes and five blocked shots and that combination been achieved in a real life regular season NBA game only once in all of NBA history. And you know who it was? Did you see who who is who done it? Jordan, you're the you're the big basketball expert around these parts, self-proclaimed. Who was it? I, I'm gonna love when he finds out the answer to this one. Was it Porzingis? No, you 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 get five, you get three guesses, Jordan. Come on, make it quick. Not Porzingis. Not Porzingis. It wasn't Bill Russell either. Because if you know anything about Bill Russell, it's he, he loved to shoot the three that didn't exist. Yeah, a lot of threes. The perimeter shot made his game. But it's as good a guess as Porzingis is, given who actually did it. <laughs> Serge Ibaka? No, no. I don't know. I give up. Danny Green. Yes! Yes! Oh. Carolina Tar Heel. Just threw up a little in my mouth. Oh, Crazy, isn't it? He is a sneaky block shots guy sometimes, though, but five blocks for a two guard. I hope these teams aren't all tanking for the next Danny Green is all I got to say. Is there any scenario you see short of injury, God forbid, where this guy isn't a star? I can't see it. Like the idea that he might be Porzingis 2.0. As a floor. He's way better than Porzingis at this stage. I mean, he's bigger. He's a better shooter. He's a better everything than Porzingis. And... You know what? I get it. We're going to be talking about all of these teams in the NBA next week. We're going to do our NBA preview, which is inevitably going to be the Scoot Henderson and Victor Wembanyama podcast. Oh, we are going to have dogs galore, though, for the NBA. Wait until I unleash my my NBA underdogs. We're going to give you an update on all those undrafted free agents the Utah Jazz signed. I, I know that was the the thing that made all three of you, including our famed producer Mays, happy when I was going on and on and on about it, trying to justify my Utah Jazz underdogs pick. So we'll we'll have we'll have a thorough rundown on that. And of course, there'll be a long discussion on how many wins an all Duke NBA team would have in the, over the course of a season. Eight to shoot, Paul the runner, loose ball, it's good with four point four to go. Shannon, don't want to foul. Shannon from the corner. The cry goes up both far and near for underdog, underdog, underdog. Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sideline. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my kid, I ain't even in the guys league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog, Underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby! Red strike and a stunning, unbelievable upset! Shock and awe in college basketball! Underdog! Underdog! I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're going to come at you with everything they've got. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to show. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Hey, George, the dream is alive. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rock. 
love or plunder Underdog 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 Well then I guess there's only one thing left to do Win the whole fucking thing it's the Underdogs Podcast. We are with you yet again for an hour plus of goodness. As always, I'm Jordan Brenner with my esteemed co-host, Tom Haberstrow, Peter Keating. Behind the glass, as they say in the radio world, it's it's our amazing producer, Anthony Mays. And, and we've got a great show for you today. Peter's done more research through the fog of COVID, and he has every answer as to what it takes to win in postseason baseball. Oh, yeah. But first, guys, we're officially a month into the NFL season. we got to talk some football. we got to talk about our picks, our season-long picks, and, and, and sort of what lessons we can draw from what's been a really, really interesting first four weeks of the season, guys. Have you, have you, have you not been entertained? I've been very entertained, and I actually would like to say that uh, we got a Sheridan, Danny Sheridan correspondence this week. He uh, he emailed us to let us know that underdogs after four weeks, and not counting uh, the Monday night football game, this was this week, this past weekend. He emailed me this: thirty-eight and twenty-four and one, a whopping sixty-one percent against the spread. Danny Sheridan, a Sheridan special, our Lord Danny Sheridan, reminding us that this is the season of the underdog in the NFL. Well, you've got so much parity so far. One undefeated team through four weeks, the Philadelphia Eagles. One winless team, Tom's Houston Texans, and they have a tie. And 15 teams are two and two. So, guys, what do we make of, of this? And we'll talk about in relation to our season-long over-under picks and how that's that's manifesting, too. But what do we make of what seems to be a high level of parity in the NFL? Well, for one thing, the high level of parity is surprising because underdogs went 8-7. and this is That record, underdog 60% plus this year, it's not just result of a crazy week one or two underdogs went eight, seven and one against the spread last week. First week that many sports books lost money this season and the top seat. So the topsy turviness is there. It's also surprising. I'll just ask you what you think. Cause I mean, when this, this phenomenon suggests that injuries are really playing a drastic role in affecting a bunch of teams that were supposed to be really good that can't, exert dominance on the line of scrimmage right now. Um, I mean, is this injuries or is it something else? I, I don't, I don't really buy that. There's any teams except maybe Jacksonville, who I think people saw coming. I certainly did. Yeah. That are suddenly good out of nowhere. I mean, I don't think the giants or the bears are as good as their record. Right. I mean, is he, so, so what, what is it? What is, is there anything beyond just injury racked good teams losing? I think for starters, a number of the good teams or what we thought would be good teams have at least one significant weakness, right? So the Rams, for instance, like that offensive line is problematic. So when you have, I don't know, when you have a spot on your team that can be exploited and maybe the talent level distribution in other areas isn't as great as usual, there there are routes to uh, sort of like what we see Peter in giant killers time that, you know, if a team has a particular hole, right? If they don't offensive rebound, well, if they don't, defend the arc well. They leave themselves more vulnerable to an upset. And so I, I, I have found that teams are sort of exploiting, exploiting those one weakness of teams particularly well, of, of at, least, at least the teams that we thought were elite or close to elite. Am I oversimplifying there? Well, I'll, t- I'll just say, I mean, four, four members of the Rams offensive line are on IR. So, I mean, in thinking college basketball, the holes are often the result of stylistic choices. It's hard for most teams to do everything well. So some teams choose to do some things well, and that leaves them vulnerable in other areas. I'm not so sure that's a matter of choice for a lot of these teams. I just think they got guys who are out, many guys who are out. I mean, Pittsburgh's 0-7 without TJ Watt. And now they're the biggest underdog since the merger this week. Four, right? Two touchdowns against Buffalo. That can't be right. No, there have been, there have been weeks where there have been like a 17 or an 18 point. Was that the COVID talking, Peter? Maybe. Maybe it's just something I read. <laughs> Between the COVID and the Mets hat, I think he's in a he's in a bad place right now. Anyway. Tom, do you have any crazy cockamamie theories as to what we're seeing? Or is this just sort of randomness? I feel like it's more random than it is like a broad stroke unifying theory about why um, 
these teams seem to be more packed together this year. Mm-hmm. One stat that jumped out to me was the fact that in the NFC, there is only one team that has an SRS over six. It's Philly at 15.8. And then every other team is below six. Can you explain what that means to someone who may not be familiar with? Yes. Uh, SRS is just simple rating system. The team quality relative um, to average. And so think about it as a point spread, like teams, there's, there's one elite team in the entire conference, one good team basically. And the rest are less than a touchdown better than average. Um, the Vikings, the bucks, you look at the cow, like there's injuries to the Cowboys. There's injuries to the, the bucks wide receiver core. We can say injuries are responsible. And, and of course, Swift and in, in Detroit and St. Brown, there's a lot of injuries. My question is, is this an extraordinary number of in- injuries? Because that is kind of the coffee I was trying to go for rather than the sweetener or the milk, like injuries are a part of the NFL, always a part of the NFL. So I don't know if there's, um, if you guys have come across any research that there is, there are more injuries or more impactful injuries this season than we have in years past. Does this mean we need to take a trip to mangameslost.com? <laughs> By the way, I have, I have a correction. The Steelers are the biggest underdogs they've been yes. since the merger. Yes. They've never been more than four to 14 point underdog. I think, that's, I think that's what I said before you guys jumped all over me. I think that's all I meant, really meant to say. Well, we'll get to that during our pick segment, Peter. Before we talk more about whether there are more injuries, we should set the context. It was pretty routinely common for the best handful of teams to score 200 points more than they gave up, a standard of dominance in the NFL. That number... When has been going down for years. It got to the point where the Patriots <laughs> were the only team that did that for a few years. Now, of course, they're in no shape to do that. And so the question is, will anyone be that? So dominance has been declining for the last 15, 20 years. We know that much. And it's an interesting question how much of that is due to particular. I mean, it might be that if dominance is declining for whatever reasons, then it only takes a few major injuries to decimate a a good unit on a team and make them unable to be really great. Well, I do want to say my Texans are better than their record and I'm pumping them up here because I'd like to propose a trade, a trade. We have this season long underdogs picks, which we did before the season. We did a draft and we picked which teams would hit their overs and possibly make the playoffs. Um, and we looked at the Panthers, the Falcons, the Lions, the Seahawks, Jets, Bears, Jaguars, Texans, and we drafted those teams. And I got the Texans primarily because they had the longest odds to make the playoffs. And that was part of the calculus is that you would get those playoff odd points if they in fact did make the playoffs. And now the Texans are winless. Oh, and three and one, they did tie the, the Colts in week one. And I would like to propose a trade using the sleeping giant of the Houston Texans and Damian Pierce, who just runs over everybody. Now deep sleep, deep sleep maze. I would like to propose a trade for the Carolina Panthers in exchange for the Houston Texans. So the Panthers, they six and a half win over under currently sitting at one and three, the Texans four and a half currently sitting at Oh, three and one. Just want to set the stage for everyone. So let me get this straight. Tom wants his hometown team for the only team in our competition without a win. Yep. The team with the longest odds to make the playoffs. Sure. And a team that's going to get absolutely annihilated by the Jaguars, which he also owns this week. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you, are you suggesting some insider trading here? Some sort of, I'm trying to unload a team because I know the other team is really good. Are there any offsetting factors? I mean, the Texans are, they're two and one, right? Two, one and one against the spread. Which means nothing in our competition. Right. So there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing we can point to. Like you're not getting extra points for Davis Mills touchdowns or anything. I mean, <laughs> what is the point of your trade offer? Are you throwing in a future number one pick or something? Let me just uh, sweeten the pot a little bit. Let me sweeten the pot a little bit. Hey, Maze. Which team is further away from their over-under right now? Is it the Texans or the Panthers? You're correct. You're correct that the Texans are just 
as far away from their over-under as they were when the season started. <laughs> Tom, you haven't taken a little look at the fact that the Panthers have four games left against other teams in our pool that be uh, Atlanta twice, Seattle and Detroit, while the Texans only have Jacksonville twice. This couldn't possibly have anything to do with the strength of schedule remaining for those two teams. Could it? I'm just saying, I know Mays is a big believer in his Falcons and week eight Panthers at Falcons week 10. They're hosting the Falcons are, are, are coming into town to Charlotte. And I'm just wondering Mays, I don't know how we rework this deal to expand it or, or what have you, but I would like to get your final answer here, Texans who are closer to their over under win total of four and a half than the Panthers who are one in three and there's over under was six and a half. What say you? It's going to have to be a no for me, Tom. No! I'm not going to give up on the team. I picked first overall in this competition for the Houston Texans. Baker Mayfield has looked atrocious, <laughs> but there's nowhere to go, but up their defense has been solid. Their offense has been horrendous. I'm sticking with the Panthers and my Falcons, who are tied for first in the NFC South. I also feel like this is a really good time to look at just how well I'm doing in this pool. So the uh, New York Jets, the over-under was five and a half. They are two and two. The, the Bears. Yes, and after taking them three weeks in a row. <laughs> they finally they, they, they pulled that out. That was a fantastic game. Yes, my other pick, the Bears over under six. They're also two and two despite playing without a quarter. I think they, they actually have not been using a quarterback. Is that correct? Jordan, the Chicago bears are the most fraudulent two and two team <laughs> in the history of the NFL. I would bet that the only other win they'll get this year would be against your own New York jets. I don't disagree, but they do have the lions twice Atlanta and the jets. So, so that's actually something they have in common with Mays' team, who's which Mays is playing with fire because the Detroit's ready to turn the corner. If Detroit could just hold opponents to under, I don't know, 30 points a game, they could win 10 games in this league. They look fantastic and they're going to crush Houston and they're going to crush Chicago. So it's time, time for time for the defensive line to stand up just a little tiny bit and Detroit is going to take off, man. It would be a shame if if Mays, Peter, and I all hit both of our overs, leaving just Tom with the Texans. The crucial <laughs> game there might be Seattle against Carolina. I don't think Baker Mayfield's ready to go toe to toe with that. Geno Smith, Peter, that's, we got we got till week fourteen for that. All right, there's a long time. Sam Darnold could be starting by then. It could be the Darnold versus Geno Bowl. I'd like to propose another trade. <laughs> Who's your other team, Tom? Hey, Peter, are you there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're right here. We're, right, we're, we're ready to go. How are you feeling about your Lions? <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling very frustrated by their propensity to blow huge leads. Battered, just really injured. You want to get off that, don't you? Are you going to trade me Greg Dortch for the Lions? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I should just get that whole entire Arizona wide out. Um, we got Dorch and my boy, Rondale Moore. <laughs> you know what? I was just going to see if you wanted to get, you know, your hands on the Texans here. And I would offer you the Texans <laughs> who are closer to their total than the lions with zero whose defense have been absolutely atrocious. I would like to move off of my Texans for your Detroit lions. What do you say? Unlike you guys with the jets mocking me for picking the team last week with the new, with the young quarterback coming back. I'm going to stick with Detroit. We've been talking the reasons for Detroit to improve since before the season started. They're a really fun team to watch, even when they lose. They got some fun players. Uh, so I, I respectfully, I see Houston winning a good maybe two games the rest of the way. So I'm going to have to respectfully decline the offer. Okay. All right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, guys, I think that's perfect time to segue into this week's underdog, underdog picks. As always, you know the rules. Only teams that are that are underdogs by three and a half points or more are uh, live for our picks. So let me go through what's on the board. You can take tonight's game, the Colts, plus three and a half at the Broncos. The Giants are getting eight against the Packers. The Steelers are getting 14 at Buffalo. Falcons getting nine and a half at Tampa. The Dolphins, uh, sorry, the Jets are getting three and a half at home against the Dolphins, Peter. Uh, Chicago getting seven and a half at Minnesota. The Texans getting seven at the Jaguars. Seattle getting five and a half at New Orleans. The Panthers getting six and a half at home against the 49ers. The Cardinals are getting five and a half at home against the Eagles. The Cowboys are getting five and a half at the Rams. And on Monday night, you've got the Raiders getting seven at the Chiefs. A lot to choose from, boys. So I believe Tom is up first this week, followed by Peter, and then I've got the sandwich pick. So should we get going? Let's do it. After being rebuffed twice on my trade proposals this week. Um, I'm happy to be at the top of the throne here to make my first selection. Can't be turned down here with the first pick of this week's uh, weekly underdogs picks. I am going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers plus 14 at Buffalo. (laughs) Welcome to the Kenny Pickett era. Everybody. He is stepping in for Jubitsky and you also have Mike Tomlin never being this heavy of an underdog in his coaching career. And I think this is a classic trap game for the Buffalo Bills because next week, do you see who they're playing? The Kansas City Chiefs in a revenge game between the Buffalo Bills and that historic, historic game in the playoffs last year when they lost to the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I think they're looking at that week and I don't think that they're ready for Mike Tomlin's tricks up his sleeve. Buffalo plus 14, 14 points. Mike Tomlin. Come on. Got to take that 14 plus 14 against Buffalo. Let's go. It's an important game for fantasy players because how many, how many weeks do you put up with severely underperforming players to start the season? I mean, the answer is not two or three weeks, but it's not seven or eight weeks. So we're getting to this point where like, okay, now they switch the quarterback. Now Najee Harris and Deontay Johnson have to start doing something because they have done nothing. However, like, I mean, is is Pickett that, Pickett probably is that huge and upgraded quarterback because any almost anyone would be. I do notice though that 65% of the public's money is on Pittsburgh. Um, so I wonder, I wonder what that says. I mean, I think it says people think the spread's too big. Yeah, it is way too big, way too big. I mean, the, the, the Steelers aren't like the Texans or anything like that. (laughs) They're, they're pretty solid. Their defense is good. They've got great weapons. And I just don't think Mike Thomas should ever have a 14 point underdog, especially with these kind of weapons at his disposal. It's not like Najee Harris is out or Deontay Johnson's out or, I know the quarterback situation's unsettled, but I think Chubisky was bad. And so it can't get any worse. Uh, what is the current line of Dallas against the Rams? Five and a half. Mm. Line started at seven. I'm not sure it should be a positive number at all. I, despite every fiber of my body hating the Dallas Cowboys for decades, I'm going to take Dallas at the Rams. Cooper Rush has been fine. We all saw the Rams unable to function on offense against the 49ers. Dallas's defense has been great. They're weak against the run, which doesn't matter because the Rams can't rush the ball. Four members, four starters on the offensive line on IR, and they gave up seven sacks last week. I will, disappointingly enough, go with Dallas, take the points at L.A. This was actually my number two on my board. So I, I, I kind of agree with this one. I have no idea why they should be getting five and a half here. I'm with you both. I had this high on my board too. I, I could see Micah Parsons just wrecking this game. I just don't, I think it's a bad matchup for, for the Rams. Rams are a better team, but Dallas's pass rush against that offensive line is, is problematic. I just hope it, they have a huge quarterback controversy when Dak comes back. I guess that's not going to happen, but you know. Let's 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 let Cooper Rush have one more great game. I wanted to ask you guys because 
I have a booster here with not a COVID booster, but a booster on the points because in our rules, anything at seven and a half or longer, we get an extra point if that team pulls off the upset. So the, the, the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers are at 14 <laughs> points, do I get an extra two points if they, if they pull off the upset here? Uh, no, because seven and a half times two is 15. So I don't think so. Okay, fine. <laughs> nice try. We have three options this week to get the booster. I took one in the first pick. Um, you declined to take either the Giants, surprisingly, or the Falcons, who are plus nine and a half at Tampa Bay. I am curious to see. Don't forget the Bears, oh. plus seven and a half. It should be plus 14. Okay, so also the Bears at plus seven and a half. Did you just tease your pick here, Jordan, by correcting me on the Bears? No, you teased it a second ago because as much as I will live to regret this and feel that I'm jinxing something and everything else, I'm taking my New York Giants plus eight in London against the Packers. I am fully anticipating Daniel Jones to play. Otherwise, I wouldn't touch this. Obviously, I'm not going with Davis Webb plus any number of points in London. But my thought is this. It's a low total, first of all. The over-under right now is 40 and a half. London games tend to go under. Now, I am going against a trend. Favorites tend to do well in, in, in London. I think 21 yeah. and 8 or something was last I saw. But um, the Packers have done nothing to impress me this season. Uh, that offense clearly is not on the same page in the passing game. I don't think they'll have success running the ball on the Giants the way they did last week against the Patriots. And look, the Giants... They can't pass block, but man, the run blocking is really improved. And then Saquon looks like his old self. So I think I'm not sure the Giants will win this game, but I think they can keep this within a touchdown and it wouldn't be absolutely crazy in the way things are going right now. If something weird happened in London and they walked out with a win. So my first pick Giants plus eight thoughts, boys. I actually think that this is uh, I'm staying away from this one. Um, I looked at the the fact that Daniel Jones is one turned ankle away, like you said, from Davis Webb. And that's too much risk for me. When you have these high ankle sprains or really bad ankle sprains, he's practicing and that's good news, but you're traveling to London. And I get it, New York and London, not too far away. This isn't Hawaii for for the Giants. But I do think that coming off that travel with that injury, too much risk there. And I will point this out. The teams that are heavy underdogs in London have not fared well. They're one in four against the spread this century and 0 and five on the money line. Underdogs in London just in general are 13 and 18 against the spread. Like you said, um, the favorites tend to do well in those situations. Um, and there's a reason why 93% of the money, according to ESPN's pick center, um, 93% of the money is coming in on green Bay. And I just think there's too much risk here at quarterback, uh, against Aaron Rodgers in London for me to go with the giants here. No risk, no reward, Tom. It's the underdog mantra. Well, they say they say that uh, Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Tony, not just Daniel Jones, may come back. I just don't know if anyone's throwing to them. Here's my question: Daniel Jones is, I mean, the high ankle sprain, and one, one, one more, you know, one more stepping on a gum wrapper, and he's he's he could be out for a long time. Talk about risk reward. People in London, do they? throw gum wrappers onto the fields. He steps on a scone and unexpectedly, you know, (laughs) what will the Giants fans throw at him in London scones? So if he steps on one, I mean, it it could be doomsday. That's, that's your high risk, high reward, but you're right. It's a 40 and a half. I mean, it's going to be a messy game. The Packers really have done nothing, but here's my question. And I mean this seriously, you know, that I, Jordan has said he likes Daniel Jones and I, I think the time is up, but Seriously, if the Giants, who are so much better at run blocking than pass blocking, if the Giants decided to let Jones heal up for another week and seriously played Saquon Barkley and ran the Wildcat for an entire game, by surprise, and maybe mix it up a little, but you know, um, if if Tony is back, he's he's run a huge number of gadget plays as well. Would they be that better? Would they be that worse off? You think an injured Daniel Jones or running the Wildcat, which team produces more points for real? I love this. I love this. Can we, can we do a booster, a multiplier if on Jordan's pick? If they just run Wildcat the whole game, you get like an extra three points. I'll take it. Thanks. <laughs> I haven't looked this up. Is there a prop bet on Barkley throwing at least one touchdown? I wonder what the odds are. I don't know. Cause I would take them. I would take that more than I'd take the Giants winning. Jordan, what's your second pick here? 
All right, for my second pick, I've gone over this back and forth a few times. Um, and I think the the potential bonus of taking a seven and a half point team is too great to pass it up. So I'm as gross as I feel, I am gonna take the Chicago Bears. Wow. Against the Minnesota Vikings. You know, our 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 buddy Chris Raybon already wrote about you know the Vikings potentially having some hangover coming back from London. This I, I see this game going two ways. Either the Vikings win like 42 to three, or they just play another one of those Vikings games where they let somebody hang around and they're sloppy and Kirk Cousins throws it to the other team six times and the Bears hang around and maybe even win. It's why I'm also having trouble with this as a survival pick. But uh, I'm going to roll the dice on the Bears getting seven and a half, despite the fact, again, I don't know if they're actually playing with a quarterback, but we'll go with this. Well, you're on to something here with the I'm scared of the Minnesota Vikings going 44, uh, winning 44 to three against um, against the Bears. Um, I think there's a chance that it's, you know, Kirk Cousins wakes up and then this is going to be a blowout. I'm still as someone who owns uh, Darnell Mooney in fantasy. I'm still just apoplectic about that offense, the, the Bears offense, and they're battered. Uh, Herbert was not as good as people expected last week. Um, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go with. I'm happy you took this team off the board. I was not going in this direction. All right. So where are you going? It's Peter's Peter's time. Well, you know what? Uh, green machine is still out there, Peter. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. I am hugely tempted to go against to go for the Jets, but I can't do that <laughs> for uh, I can't do that for four weeks in a row. But I, I will I will say last week when I. Um... <laughs> it is really tempting. He's rethinking it, Tom. <laughs> I can see it. I can see the wheels turning <laughs> hugely. Get busy living or get busy dying, Peter. Yeah. Who are they playing? The dog. Who are they playing? The Dolphins at home. I said that was a joke. He was just going to go all in blind. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to touch Miami because, um, uh, well, let me ask you guys this. Who do you, I, 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 let me, before I tell you why I'm not going to touch Miami, okay? Here's the four most profitable starting quarterbacks you could have bet on in the past 20 years against the spread. Uh, let's see. It's a little, it's a little group called Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, who's number five on that list? The past 20. Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater yeah. is 43 and 21 against the spread, wow. which is pretty amazing. And stay away. I wish, you know, I joked about it last week when, I mean, I said Teddy Bridgewater would be a completely serviceable quarterback in place of two. And he should have started that game. I, I don't. I, I don't for the life of me understand why he didn't. I don't know why you invest in backup quarterbacks uh, if you can't ever play them. It's like, why do you have a third catcher on the roster? Except it's a lot more important than that. So I'm not going to touch that game. And um, whatever the hell is going on with the concussion protocol, I, I, I really don't understand why, to tell you the truth, I don't understand why the NFLPA, like why, why wasn't this week the time or, let you know, last week during the week sometime recently the time for a wildcat strike like why do you let your play the concussion protocols be is undergoing revision like until it's revised why the hell do you let players on the field at all i, I for the life of me i do not understand that another question if the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant who treated or looked at tua has been fired if he's really unaffiliated who fired him yeah i thought the same exact thing peter and also what the hell is the guy's name we have to call him the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. Why? Because mobsters will like blow up his house if he lets a quarterback. What the hell is going on? There are moments. I mean, I spent a lot of my career covering concussions. And there are moments where I wonder, like, what the hell I did with 10 years of my life? Because what is what literally what the hell is going on? We've talked about it on Basketball Illuminati that we should start, you know, spreading into other sports. Football Illuminati absolutely needs to tackle this story of unaffiliated consultant who has a very important job. <laughs> like if there's any job that needs to be very front and center and paid for and like making sure it's on the up and up and out there, unaffiliated consultant neurosurgeon is fired. I thought the same exact thing, Peter fired by whom if he's unaffiliated 
And if, he, if he's a consultant, he can't be fired. So when leaked news is written in the passive voice, right, um, was fired, it's because the people who are writing the stories don't bother to do anything more than stenography and say, well, wait a minute, what's the subject of that sentence? He was fired. Okay, I'll go write that down. What? By whom? When? Why? And apparently yeah. the guy, the unaffiliated consultant, got. did you see he got hostile and confrontational about his, the treatment? That that let leaked out he, that because he mishandled the case. He or she or or whomever, whoever the, the entity is that we're talking about, since they can't be named. This is ridiculous. Anyway, uh, Miami can go to hell. Good luck to Bridgewater. Good luck to Tua. <laughs> um, and uh, and man, what a what a horrendous situation. I feel dirty now even picking a team. So I'm going to pick the team with the most points gettable. I'm picking the Atlanta Falcons at Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa Bay's outscored opponents by 14 points. Um, Atlanta's outscored opponents by two points. Um, they're both two and two. Um, on the road, huge spread, public money's against the Falcons, fading everybody, go Falcons. I know Cordero Patterson's hurt. Well, guess what? They weren't using Cordero Patterson that much anyway, which was a bad move. Um, so we'll see what the Falcons can gin up against, uh, against Tom Brady. Here's why I stayed away from that one too. You know, I love my, my booster picks here. I looked at the Atlanta nine and a half at Tampa Bay. And one thing that is very, very seductive about the Atlanta Falcons is the fact that they are four and O against the spread this season. And the only team I, th I believe in the NFL that is four and O four game win streak against the spread. They've covered in each of the four games. And so I went to the bet finder at NBC sports edge. And I wanted to see how teams that are on four game win streaks against the spread do in that fifth game. Turns out they have not fared well in the last decade, one in five against the spread. And here are the losses, Peter. They, um, that hot team against the spread lost by 28, lost by 17, lost by 35, lost by 28, lost by 35. Not good. Not only are they one in five against the spread, but their five losses have been horrendous. Wait, this is over what length of time? The last decade. 10 years, a sample size of four. Well, look, I mean, another way of looking at that is they prove they're capable of backdoor covering, right? If they're four and zero oh against the spread and I, that with the spread this big against a team that's has not exerted itself. Talk about a lack of a dominant team. Tampa Bay is one of those teams that has not exerted itself as a dominant force. Uh, I think the Falcons are quite capable of sneaking in a field goal at the end or something. You remember what Danny said, when there's that extra half a point, it's often a boost to the, you know, because the public is boosting the favorite. I think that's probably the case here. I had an even better reason for not going with the Falcons. And that is uh, our friend Chris Raybon has already picked oh, no. the Buccaneers. Oh, no. So I know better than to go against Raybon. Come on. I should say, I should clarify that that stat that I gave you, the one in five against the spread, is uh, teams that are on a four-game win streak who are getting more than a touchdown in the spread. So that would be the Falcons are one in five. So heavy underdogs, despite their hot streak, those teams tend to not do well right after that. So I think there is a lot of truth, Raybon, already on that side. Um, look, if if Tom Brady's injury, his hand injury is is severe, um, that could be a problem for them. So we'll see. But I uh, I looked at that for a long time, and I actually went with this pick for my sixth pick on today's draft. I'm going to go with Seattle, plus five and a half at New Orleans. Geno Smith. MVP of the season. I know you like Lamar Jackson, but watch out for Geno Smith. It is time for the Seahawks to get some love on this show. I know Peter, they're on your team, but going to new Orleans plus five and a half. I don't understand that line. I'm going with Seattle to go along with my pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I got Seattle and Pittsburgh. Let's go. There's no need to fear or quaver. Underdog is here to save her. Underdog. Guys, I am very excited. I am already clicking for tickets, looking to get to Yankee Stadium next Tuesday night. I'm thinking about going to City Field this weekend. New York is the hub of baseball once again. And the playoffs are starting. There's a lot to love. Are you guys feeling the excitement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I just love that J.D. Martinez decided to hit two home runs on the final game of the season. Like, thank thank you for that on the way out. Thank you, J.D. It's funny you say that because most teams' uh, fantasy leagues have ended, right? Or 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 your favorite real-life teams have fallen out of contention. And it's funny how the last two or three weeks of the season, for teams that are not in playoff contention, you're just not paying attention anymore, guys can post numbers that warp their entire season stats, you know? Yeah. That's like 30% of his home runs this year. JD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the final game of the season. Thank you. Mitch Hattiger, who I mentioned several times over the past six months, you know, he was hitting around 220 with seven home runs and he's going to finish the season over 240 with 11 or 12 home runs. He had a fantastic last week or two that actually made a difference because Seattle made the postseason. but it's funny how these guys, it's also interesting guys who are flirting with thresholds, which may or may not be meaningful, right? Like Stephen Kwan is, was hitting 299 or 302 for like five months, right? Um, I, I, I We talked about how there were a couple of Dodgers who are right around the 200 level, right? Mac, Max Muncie was hitting 199. I think he, he ultimately got over 200. Um, so it's going to take a while to digest these numbers from these last meaningless games. Where did the great Joey Gallo finish his... Uh... In his apartment? 160. 160. 160. Wow. What about Bellinger? Bellinger, 210. Strong 210. For a while, they were like the best team in baseball and had three guys under the 200 line, which is pretty cool. All right, but let's talk what it takes to win in October. Peter, are there any grand declarations? Because I'm pretty much of the school of thought that October is completely random. It's the most disconnected sport between what makes a good team and what actually wins a championship. Um, I think you could throw a bunch of teams up in the air and have different results every time. What say you? Okay, so when two teams meet and you just look at who did more of what, that that kind of gives you a circular analysis. Like last year, teams that hit more home runs won. They went 20 and two in games. But of course, anytime you hit more home runs, you're more likely to win a game. Here's what I did. Going back to the beginning of the wild card era, didn't look at the actual, what happened in actual games. We looked at what happened during the regular season. So let's say Boston meets Houston, like in 2018, right? And Boston hit more home runs. The Red Sox hit more home runs than the Astros. In the regular season, you're saying? In the regular season. If in the playoffs, the Red Sox beat the Astros, we square that as one point, a win for home runs, okay? So if you have more doubles and you lose, you're 0-1. If you have more triples and you win, you're one and oh. I'm pretty sure triples is going to be what decides this. So yeah, go on. <laughs> well, triples are actually a pretty strong negative indicator, but we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but that basically gives you a, a one lost record for every stat, right? Buckle in, yeah. Over yeah. the entire wildcard era, what's crazy is that all, as Jordan just suggested, almost every stat has a one lost record right at about 500, like 60 and 59, 59, 60. Half the time, the team that hit more doubles or had the better ERA as a team during the regular season won the postseason, but half the time they lost. There's only one stat up near 60%. And it doesn't, as we talked about last time, you know, you can set yourself up with aces, but that doesn't necessarily mean your aces are going to come through or you're going to win it. Anyway, the one stat is OPS plus the team OPS adjusted for ballpark and league team with that better OPS adjusted for ballparking league wins about 60% of their matchups. So that means two things. One is even the biggest edge isn't that really, really that big. It's 60%. So you can be worse off and still win a series very easily. And more important probably is you got to hit the hell out of the ball. You can't just have good pitching. It does seem to be a good predictor of success is when you hit the hell out of the ball in the playoffs. I think that that helps matters. Yes. Except for 120 years, people who do this for a living have been saying good pitching beats good hitting. That's right. Especially in the postseason. Hey, what kind of stats do we have now these days that, that actually measure hitting against top flight pitching? Like, are we able to to parse that out at this point? Well, one thing about the postseason, there's no bad teams. So you'd think teams that beat good teams would do well in the postseason. That also is a very weak indicator. Wait a minute. Well, I just, okay, anecdotally, right? Like I watched the Yankees over the years and it always felt like, you know, against really good pitchers, they strike out all the time. And it's like, again, it's, it's an anecdotal thing, but you hear a lot of fans say that. So are we able to actually see what hitters, 
which hitters are sort of the ones who feast off bad pitching versus which ones are the ones who can actually maintain their level of success against good pitching? Are, do those stats exist in a good form yet, or are we still working on that? They don't exist in a good form. You can figure out who hits what against what teams. Um, but Jordan, also the truth is, is that a lot of fans think that your offense is bad if you strike out a lot. Right. And that's not true either. You stri- strikeouts are actually correlated with power. And power is the most important thing to have for a good offense. And in the postseason, it's really important because it's harder to string together opponent mistakes that turn singles into doubles, that allow stolen bases, that turn doubles into triples, or just give up a bunch of hits in a row. The one thing you can control is how how the rate at which you hit a ball over the wall. Which is frustrating. It may, it, it undeniably makes the sport less interesting when you're just – waiting for a home run. I, I much prefer to watch games where hits are being strung together. That's why I'm really excited, quite frankly. I've really come around. I'm excited about the banning of the shift. I'm excited to see more balls in play, hopefully, through a lot of different mechanisms. It, it's just, to me, it, it adds to the crapshoot nature of, of there's only one way to win. We're going to swing as hard as we can. Hope we hit two balls over the fence. You hit one, and we win this this playoff game. It's also why I think that, like, and I'm tired of hearing fellow Yankee fans go nuts about management because they won 100 games and they lost in the second round of the playoffs. There's nothing you can do to control your team in the postseason. It is random. And you all you can do is build a team that can make the postseason and hope you get lucky. Do you, do you disagree with that? OK, well, I just want to say here for the record, you Yankees fan mm-hmm. are tired of all the home runs in baseball. I don't love the approach of this team. I don't find it enjoyable. To- okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying Aaron Judge, you know, all the Yankee fans want everyone to pay attention and give credit to Aaron Judge here for winning that AL record. And shout out to my brother who sent me this stat yesterday. And I, and I figured you guys would have a, you'd be a really good audience for this. Here's the stat. Aaron Judge is the AL home run champion, but actually He's only hit 52 home runs against AL teams. Wow. What a, what a stat. He has 10 home runs against the NL. Roger Maris had 61 against AL teams and judges home run rate against the AL is seven and a half per plate appearance, but against the national league, it's 10 and a half per plate appearance. Hmm. Me thinks that the AL record should go to, to the player who has hit only AL home runs. And to me, disqualifies Aaron judge from this. And all right, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jordan, Jordan, before you respond, you want this? Uh, that allows me the chance to bring up a stat. My mom sent me shout out to my mom. Check this out. This is deeper and more relevant than anything Tom just had to say. That's not a high bar. Aaron judge hit his 62nd home run in the Yankees. 99th win judges number Wow. Is 99. I'm sorry. The Yankees won 90, right? The judge's number is 99. Yeah. They lost that game. <laughs> anyway, 99 oh, and 62. On. Get it? The Yankees won 99 games. Yes. Judge hit 62 home runs. His number is 99. The numerology is just mind blowing here. All right. So Peter, who's going to win the world series? Jordan, wait a minute, Jordan. There, there, you brought up two things. The second one was the crapshoot of the postseason and the Yankees fan sense of entitlement. And that's totally right. Like we've talked about this many times. Brian Cashman, not only does a good job crafting these hundred win teams, he even controls things that other GMs have not been able to control. Like he builds effective bullpens sometimes in the middle of the season year in year out. Not this year, sadly, but the first thing you said was you're tired of seeing these teams with everybody standing around waiting for a home run. Wait a minute. Does that describe the Dodgers? The Dodgers led the National League in home runs. And let's see, they have Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts on the team. They just stand around waiting for home runs. The Astros, best team in baseball. Wait a minute. The Astros have Altuve and Gurriel. And I mean, who's standing around and waiting? What we object to is the Yankees style of baseball. The Mm. Yankees tried to diversify their offense by bringing in Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I mean, the Yankees, you know, everyone's like, this game to game isn't as good as it used to be. All of baseball analytics, blah, 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 blah. No, it's just the Yankees standing around waiting to hit home runs. The other good teams aren't. Well, the Braves kind of are, but the Mets certainly aren't. And that brings me to this point. 
you could put a team together of guys that hit a lot of home runs, but also get a lot of other hits. They'd be fun to watch. They'd have the highest OPS plus of anybody who led all of baseball and OPS plus the one indicator we found to be relevant for postseason success. Blue Jays, baby. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, the Toronto Blue Jays, who are currently plus 1300 to win the World Series. And they're a hell of an entertaining team. And they have two guys in their starting rotation who had ERAs above five. They're not going to pitch in the playoffs. So their pitching looks better than their, than their season-long stats do. So, uh, look, they have to play an extra round. But, I mean, against Seattle. But, uh, man, that's the team I'd watch out for. Oh, they're scary. Are you saying we should all jump on the Vladdy wagon? <laughs> I'm in. I'm all in on the Vladdy wagon. You need Mo Bo, Mo Bo Bichette? Yes, yes. It sure feels like they should be better in general. So I, I, I don't think you will find anyone disagreeing with you that they are scary as hell. Good work, Peter. I'm proud of you. The feverish corner. The news is, you know, who led the National League in OPS Plus. I kind of don't want to let this out of the bag, but. Isn't it the Cardinals? It is. It's St. Louis. Yikes. Do you realize how insufferable if they make the World Series it's going to be about Pujols, Molina, and Wainwright? And Goldschmidt finally having his MVP season. Yes, it's going to be. Uh, vomit. By the way, the Mets had an even better offense than the Braves this year. They just looked terrible in those last three games. Well, and the Starling Marte, my, by my preseason MVP pick, by the way, injury is, is killer. Killer. He's really good. But that's all for this show. Next week. We're going to take a closer look at the baseball playoffs. We're going to have more football and, of course, the underdog NBA preview. You don't want to miss that. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Peter. And thank you, Maze. We'll see you next week. Maze, are you sure you don't want the Texans? You sure? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.